Hello and welcome to Week in Politics, episode 10. Uh, I'm joined this week by Albert Esmonaces, as usual, and no special guest again this week, but we've got a fantastic episode lined up. We're going to be going into the news of the week. We're going to be talking about, is our political system fit for purpose? Before the end of the podcast, the highlights, the main event is the final of the Tom Harwood Testimonial Cup. He still hasn't got back to us, but we're going to get into that. And it's going to be between a winner takes all between Albert and Odysseus to see who becomes the first ever a week in politics test Tom Harwood Testimonial Cup champion. It's a bit of a mouthful, that is. But before we go into things, we all of us here at uh, a week in politics um, want to send our thoughts and prayers to everyone in Beirut after the tragic incident that happened there uh, this week. Uh, we're going to uh, put a link to a fundraiser to raise money uh, for the victims. Uh, in our, our social medias and in the description of our podcast. So we hope you can donate to that and uh, really make a difference over there. But uh, let's get into it. How are you all doing this week? It's been a, a sort of news has picked up uh, after last week, I would say. Would you say, Albert? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's been some uh, more excitement this week, or not excitement, but <laughs> events. Events have happened, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, well, I want to start with the, the going to the, the news, as they say, the news. Uh, and uh, I want to talk about Douglas Ross, who's the. Uh, Scottish Member of Parliament who's been confirmed as a new Scottish Tory leader this week. Um, bit of a, a weird timing to have a new leader. Obviously, he's been in the other, uh, the other problem with the other guy, Scottish, for four months. Um, but a new leader of the Scottish Tories, a young, a young person to take over, to challenge Nicola Sturgeon. Um, but I want to ask you, do you think this has a, uh, an impact on the an SNP at all? Do you think this shows that the SNP have total control in Scotland if the Tories are electing a new leader after four months? Albert, what do you think of that? Uh, well, I'm not really that aware of, of the internal Scottish Conservatives uh, style uh, leadership thing, but I think it does show the position, the strength of the, of the SNP at the moment and how the Conservatives have almost emerged as a kind of the contenders to, to the SNP rather than Labour. So perhaps it's more a show of Labour's weakness than Conservative strengths, because I know they conserve a big, a big amount of Scottish Conservative success was because when they had Ruth Davison. So I don't really know whether they'd be able to replicate that success or not. I don't, I'm not sure. But mm. yeah, uh, yeah, Ed, do you think, do you think the uh, S&P have got total control over Scotland? It, it seems like this news hasn't really broken out and made news. Is it because the Scottish Tories, the second largest party in, uh, in Scotland, are irrelevant now? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I don't know a huge amount. I would say like... Um, I don't know how much it says about how much control they have. Uh, I will say perhaps they're trying to appeal to that uh, more labor type crowd, because I think I read somewhere that he said that he wasn't, he basically was very critical of Boris Johnson, didn't want to endorse him and stuff. So perhaps that's like showing how they want to be taken more seriously as an independent, uh, you know, as, as Scottish, identity or whatever again i don't know a huge amount about it but yeah mm. that's what i'll say yeah Aldi, what do you think yeah I mean, like i'd imagine that the main reason it did not happen for four months would be coronavirus um but yeah uh mm. you know it's i think that it's good that they've elected a new leader yeah i mean it's Surely, I mean, we, there's been always this talk since December, really. It's picked up of an uh, indie ref again, the second indie ref in Scotland. Um, you know, last time they said it was a, a once-in-a-generation vote. They're, they're really pushing for it now. I think this does show that we, we could be going towards an indie ref. I don't think under a Conservative government we would 
they would sanction an indie ref, but they're really pushing for it now. And I think the SNP have total control over Scottish politics. I mean, they've got 52 MPs in Parliament and they have a, a resounding majority in there in Holyrood. So I, I think we are heading towards an indie ref if a change of power in, in Westminster sanctions it. But would you say that, that is, that's fair? I mean, I, I, is it up to another part, another part of the country? I mean, I'm a unionist. I, I want them to stay. But Albert, do you think it's fair that there's... Well, firstly, do you think that an indie ref is incoming because of um, the power that S&B have in, in Scotland? And do you think that it's fair that the Westminster decides? Well, I think uh, an independence referendum would be contingent on whether Scotland could become a member of the EU afterwards. Because yeah, that's a lot of the debate around it is sort of them saying like, well, it's unfair that Scotland gets dragged out of the EU when we voted to stay in. So if they could somehow make it, like get assurances from the EU that they'd be able to join, then I think that it could happen. Probably not any time really soon, but if SNP win another majority in the Scottish mm. Parliament, I personally don't think it, it's that unfair. I mean, you know, they have their own Parliament. This Parliament has its own powers to determine its own future. You know, I think that if anyone, if a majority of the people in the country want it to be independent, I would, you know, that wouldn't mm. be a problem with me. Mm. Uh, Audie, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, I think that what David Cameron said at the time when he allowed the first Scottish referendum, independent referendum, was that, you know, it's not right that one country should be forced to be in another country against its will. And that's why I gave them the mm. choice. I think broadly is a, a fair sort of opinion to have. Uh, in terms of there should be another independent referendum, I just don't think there's really an appetite for it I think that really I don't know I, I'm at the point where I'm getting a bit I think we're you know most people both sides of of Hadrian's wall to use uh, a Farage term that he said is I think we're all getting a bit fed up of the whole independence referendum because basically they're just not actually that far ahead and in, in fact then they're, they're still quite behind in the polls and there was the big referendum in 2014 and it's only been six years and so yeah I don't know I don't really see the point of it to be honest and I don't really think there's that valid a case and even if there was to be a change in the UK would Keir Starmer sanction it probably not no. so yeah I think I think the main thing was if, if it was Jeremy Corbyn if he had enough seats to be able to get a uh, a coalition with the SNP to put him into power I think that was one that was going to be the uh, the deciding factor if the SNP did get into bed with Labour in in December was you got to sanction a, uh, an indie ref and we'll make you prime minister. But obviously that's not going to happen. So um, I, do, I do agree with Odd that I think it's absolutely indie ref is, is not going to happen for a while yet. I think it's going to take something resounding. Like uh, I don't think that the Scotland will be better off inside the EU, especially with oil going the way it is at the moment, which is their uh, largest import uh, to us. To, the, to, the, to England uh, and Wales and Northern Ireland, but, you know, excluding them. Uh, I, I can't see them surviving well outside of the, outside of the UK. Ed, what, what do you make of it? Do you think there's an indie ref coming or do you agree with, with us? I agree that there will have to be a very large push for it because, uh, like you say, it would, to have a second referendum on the topic, even with Brexit and everything, which I think is a valid concern to, to, to bring a second referendum, I do think there will have to be quite a big push for it. I, I'm of the same opinion of like Albert and Oli though, where I think uh, it's pretty weird to me that if a country like clearly doesn't want to be in 
the United Kingdom that we should like force them to be essentially. And obviously there's more to it than that. And it's whether, and I think we're all sick of like referendums and stuff at this point, but like with stuff like this, I think it, I think we have a sort of duty as a democratic country to let them decide. Now, how you do that obviously is another matter. Again, if there was a very strong push from the SNP who like won a majority say, or even like the, you know, whatever party, if there was a push for it, then I would say that's fair enough. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, any more news of you guys this week, Albert? Have you seen the news in the, uh, that you want to talk about? Well, I, I've been monitoring this week a uh, uh, talk of uh, Boris's new anti-obesity campaign. Um, the government right. has, has been putting millions of pounds into TV adverts, advertising in general, trying to promote general health. And it's a question of, it's, it's, it's partly in relation to the fact that being overweight is more detrimental if you catch coronavirus, obviously pressing, but it's also worse for all number of conditions, heart disease, lung disease, all kinds of diseases like this. Uh, and I know Britain is seen as having more of a problem with that than uh, amongst amongst Western countries. Uh, but it's interesting uh, uh, in relation to this new scheme that the government's also launched, this Eat Out to Help Out scheme, which has been paying restaurants to essentially give you money, give money off so that people can go eat out and try and revive the economy. So I wondered what, what your guys' thoughts were on whether those two policies are kind of, can be reconciled. Mm. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's a, the obesity campaign is, is long overdue, I think. But, but the e-tails, how about it, is just contradicting it completely. I mean, the, you can have McDonald's on there 50% off, Nando's 50% off. It's a very, you know, uh, they're cheap already, but to make them even cheaper is, is ridiculous. I, I think now, you, on a, obviously it's Monday to Wednesday is the e-tail to help out. I think you can get a, a burger at McDonald's cheaper than you can get, get a piece of fruit. And it's absolutely, that's absolutely ridiculous. It really is. Mm. It's, it, just, it just baffles me, that does. But I mean, they both work. I mean, you need to have an obese, uh, a, a campaign to reduce obesity in the country. And you also need to help revive the economy. But as I, as I keep thinking with this uh, Eat Out to Help Out, it, it isn't Rishi Sunak taking the bill when you think, oh, great, 50% off. It'll be us in years time. And it'll be our, our kids and our grandkids picking up this bill. And at the end of the day, when you think of it like that, is it something we could really get behind? Uh, you... I think, I, just, just to quickly say about that scheme as well, I think it's weird that it's Monday to Wednesday because you think it, it will encourage everyone to pack out the restaurants on those days, which aren't we supposed to be encouraging people to not, you know, not pack out restaurants and not go at the same time almost? Perhaps if they'd have had a slightly well, less, less yeah. over the over seven days, you know, if it was like, 20% off over set or whatever. You well, know. isn't the point that like more, normally people would go at the weekend though? Like, so yeah, well, spread them no, out I, I understand that, but then if everybody's going to now go Monday to Wednesday, all the restaurants are going to be really full and there's well, that's true. Be potential, I, potential chance for passing on coronavirus. Well, I, that's why I came up with an absolute fantastic alternative to this is that when you, when you go to a restaurant, <laughs> you pull out of a hat your discount so you could have 10% off 20% off 50% off 100% off but it was also in there that you pay for someone else's bill and therefore it encourages people to take the gamble if you want to go or not it's a fantastic <laughs> idea. I mean, yeah, imagine yeah, that it's, it's like it's like car key roulette where you take the or, uh, credit card credit card roulette but instead you can pick up someone else's bill i think that's a decent way yeah. of it should be like there should be a really bad one it's like you have to pick up everyone's in the restaurant's bill oh imagine that that comes out like once a week that does <laughs> I mean, that would be, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> about this whole thing, though, I, 
Do we actually know if this eat out to help out scheme does that definitely cover like fast food restaurants? It, McDonald's is on the list. Yeah, it depends. It depends right. McDonald's signed up for it, and uh, you know, Weatherspoons do it as well. And Weatherspoons isn't isn't mm-hmm. the healthiest option. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I would say like in terms of eating out, I don't know if it wholly contradicts it because I think the the, the study uh, I I don't know enough about it, obviously, but from my understanding, a lot of the problem with obesity in, in western countries ours in america specifically is like cheap you know food that is not good for you but that doesn't necessarily translate i think mcdonald's definitely is obviously a huge problem with that but it also comes in the form of like supermarkets selling you know like fulton's or whatever selling really cheap like meat and stuff that's like all full of preservatives and additives and that sort of thing yeah, that's true so and I, I, obviously no, no one's been eating mcdonald's for the past few months as well so yeah but, it, but, it, but and it's also it's with, also with, stuff like oh sorry go on. so i was just saying but the issue is what i've got with it is that should these big companies be able to sign up for this system it surely it would be a lot a lot beneficial a lot more beneficial for smaller Small independent restaurants yeah. and cafes to sign up for this and therefore people will be entitled to, to go there where they actually need the money mcdonald's well, were always going to, yeah. mcdonald's and weatherspoons were always going to survive at the end of this they knew people would yeah. come back. mcdonald's didn't need to sign up for this because they knew people will always go to mcdonald's but and, and with point. weatherspoons they don't need the money to do this and i think it's but, just a way of but, copping out it really is I, agree, yeah. I can see the argument that these companies are big employers and therefore the more they can, the more business they can generate, the more people they're likely to employ. Because ultimately, Weatherspoons employs more people in the UK than one restaurant in wherever you live. Yeah, I can, wage. I can see that. But we, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all, you know, we're as listeners know, we all live in the same town. We all meet up. I know you think the podcast is our life, but we do go for a pint t- two or three times a week together. And we've been to Weatherspoons since, um, and you know we've been before this eat out to help out scheme came in and it was it's it's busy they don't need the funds they know that it's a large employer people will go whereas smaller businesses who are struggling and they can sign up i'm not saying that but if you had the choice between weatherspoons and these and a smaller independent restaurant or bar you'd go to weatherspoons because you know that you know because mm. it's, it's cheaper and you know it's cheaper already and it's going to be even cheaper you would do that i mean sadly we did that uh, so being a bit hypocritical, but that's because we didn't have a choice. If you had a choice to an independent restaurant, I would I would happily go there, and that's and that's the, yeah. uh, the say it's it's. Oddly, I would say like yeah. the independence places tend to be a bit healthier as well, rather than like Wellspins. Exactly, that yeah. sort of mitigates that problem. Oh, to say, so what do you think of of this? We haven't heard from you yet. I mean, like, so firstly, I point out that actually, general rest, like restaurants generally are actually a bit unhealthier in terms of obesity. Anyway than fast food like because the portion is just so much bigger than a usual portion so there's actually like there was a study about basically there's just a, way more calories in a restaurant meal than a usual meal so it's actually not very healthy to eat out anyway um but i don't think that's really the biggest problem because i think that really to tackle obesity you basically need i mean to some extent you need the prices but generally you need a culture change like mm. i think that in this country in comparison to a lot of other countries uh, people are basically less enthusiastic about food, less generally like aware of how to cook properly. Um, mm. And I think that, that massively needs to change. Like just from my own experience, um, you know, when you sort of talk to people from like other countries in comparison to, to British people, I do think that they generally just seem to care a bit more about food. They seem to have something more like, obviously a lot of British people can uh, cook. I don't want to overgeneralize, but I do think that, there is just a lot more sort of care and attention that goes to that kind of thing. 
Whereas here, there is a lot of reliance on convenience food, not that much sort of thought goes into doing different things and, you know, getting all the right sort of ingredients, having a, variety, a varied diet. Um, and as well as that, and this is something that I'm not sure what, what the case is in other countries, but I think definitely here, it's very normal for people to just not exercise. Like, I think that people here, basically, there's so, there's so many people who their exercise plan for the year is they realise that they may be a bit overweight just before New Year's Eve. They make a New Year's resolution to go to the gym and then they exercise for like a month and give up and then that's basically their year of exercise done. Uh, so what actually needs to change there is you need to encourage a lot more people to be getting into sport. It needs to become part of people's basically like weekly routines. Like people should be playing a lot more sport. People should be exercising more. I think that you know, and this is the thing with this, and it's going to be basically like almost a new, another New Year's this um, campaign because Boris is going on about, you know, jogging and he's jogging himself. I'm sure some, some people will take up jogging, but give it a month and everyone will realise that if you don't like jogging, it's actually quite boring and then they'll just stop. Like, you basically need to have a culture change to make it last a long time. And that's something that has to be done over a much longer period, but you can at least start it because... If you don't start the long-term period, the long-term change never comes. So it's probably worth doing something that will be properly effective. I just, I just wanted to come in and ask Harvey particularly about this, but the others can come in. Do you think it's the government's job to tell us how to like run our lives? In no. This, like, is obesity something that we should deal with ourselves? Oh, I is think it, it, I think is it, it is. Is it the same thing argument as, say, smoking and drinking like should we be picking up the bill on the nhs when you shove burgers down your throat the whole well, that, i completely mm. I, I completely agree with you i think, I just, I think no, I, i'm not saying that that's true no I'm i know actually no i think I, it is I, I think i think the we all know that when it comes to conservatism it is more about not getting involved in your life as much and you make your own decisions but you pick up the consequences or the rewards that come with that uh, and I, I know i know a lot of conservatives in my bubble that are upset and and bit pissed off with the government's obesity plan because it shouldn't be up to the government to tell you how much what you should eat and, and what you should do it should be your common sense to be able to do that and your reward or consequences depending on how much you eat and mm -hmm. things like that but on the other hand it's the same with the, with the sugar tax should that exist should should the government be telling us what sugary drinks I should be buying for me, my kids, whatever. I don't have kids, but if I did have kids, um, I might do. They just don't want to see me. Um, but, um, um, I, I just, I just, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I don't, I don't, I don't think it should be. Well, what, what, there, but what, I, what I think, Harvey, I just, I'm sorry, Ed, I'll just be one second. No, you go for it. I just, I think there's a middle ground between doing nothing and doing everything. And I think that there are some measures that the government can take, like basically, like they have done with alcohol in that they are taxed, which then brings back, you know, gives back money to the government, which is good, deters people from drinking it too much. And so I think that there are things like that, that the government probably can do, but I think spending millions of pounds making adverts that people just eventually ignore probably isn't worth it. I mean, the one thing, the good thing to come out of this is that is the ban on uh, adverts uh, before 9 p.m. Because so that means yeah. we're gonna get some saucy fast food adverts coming out. Oh. <laughs> thing, I mean, we're gonna get some R-rated <laughs> uh, adverts, which is good, which I can't wait for. I can't wait for McDonald's with burgers and tits. I can't wait for that. It's gonna be something <laughs> we all look forward to on a, on a 9 p.m. I can imagine all the men waiting on the TV at 9 p.m. waiting for that uh, crispy cream <laughs> to come out. It's going to be uh, something very exciting. <laughs> yeah anyway that's that's so i just wanted to say that i just i just thought that <laughs> go on ed you want to say something yeah i was just gonna say i, I agree with albert i i uh, there's a middle ground you can take because um the problem is you could like you say you can't just do nothing because 
if it's a real enough health problem, which it is, um, you ha- you know you have a sort of duty to do something. I think the banning on adverts is a good idea because I mean you really shouldn't be advertising that sort of stuff to children. I think the tax for me has always made a, a good amount of sense because even even if it doesn't work this way in reality, the way I see it is you pay more for a high risk, you know, something that's got a higher risk attached to it, so that if you eventually eat yourself into the hospital, you sort of at least put some money towards your own treatment, if that makes sense. And, and I don't want to sound too heartless because, you know, some people have conditions that themselves in the hospital and then they and they have nothing to do with the amount of sugar they eat, but it's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's something to contribute at least a bit mm. to it. It might make you think of McDonald's and stuff as a bit more of a luxury than a sort of rich Exactly, yeah. It's slightly more expensive. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I think that's, that's it. Uh, just a, a quick word uh, from this week. We actually have a sponsor this week, which is it's fantastic. Um, it's, yeah, I know. It's the band, uh, the band Stasis have got a new song. Uh, it's called Sea Sense. It's available on Spotify, uh, iTunes, whatever. Go check it out. It's a very, very good song. And at the end of the podcast, we'll be playing the song. We'll be playing us out uh, this week as it's sort, of a, it's, it's sort of a mid-series finale sort of thing. I mean, we're going to be back next week, but uh, we thought with the end of you know, with the Tom Howard testimonial cut, we'll make a bit of an effort. We've got a song to play us out. It's Sea Sense by Stasis, and that is on Spotify now. Um, Oddie, where have you been this week? Zimbabwe corner of Alberts was last week. You see he's having his 14-day quarantine. I don't think it is, but just, just to be safe, we don't know what the numbers are like in Zimbabwe. But Aussie, where are you coming um, from today? Well, speaking of the number, actually quite interestingly, I think that I'm going to a place, or I am in a place, I should say, obviously. I'm in a place that I think is on the quarantine list, which is quite strange, really, because it was actually the last African country, in inverted commas gets disputed, last African country to register coronavirus. And according to the statistics that I found, um, it had 10 cases, one death, eight recoveries. So supposedly there's one person in this country uh, which has coronavirus. Does anybody know where, where I am? Western Sahara, maybe? Or, I, just, I know that's a disputed African country. I'm going to go. I'm going to go... Uh... I'm going to go Ghana. Yeah. Ghana was muted. Um, and Ed? No, I, I, I don't know. Ethiopia. Yeah, Al- I never thought that was a country. Albert was indeed correct. I am over, you know, I'm over here in Western Sahara. Uh, yeah. Lovely. Um, and yeah, and so, you know, Western Sahara was the last African country to have a confirmed coronavirus case. Um, you know, to give a bit of background on the place, it's somewhere that, you know, Morocco claims, you know, there's a Polisario front that sort of claims as well, that it's basically an independent place. You know, a lot of countries actually see it as basically, you know, unresolved territory, sort of almost recognised as nobody's territory, according to, you know, some people. Um, and yeah, and it's quite an interesting place, really, because most places that are disputed, you sort of can see a pattern with people that recognise them. Whereas, uh, you know, looking on the, the map of countries that either have recognised or recognised Western Sahara, um, actually there's there's just quite a lot of different ones. You know, India used to recognise them, so did Iran, so did Albania, so did uh, Mexico does recognise them, South Africa recognises them. Um, I'd say, you know, countries, you know, Morocco's best friends probably won't ever really recognise them. Uh, but generally there is, you know, quite, quite a big mix, you know, North Korea recognises them as well. Um, 
and so yeah I think uh, you know here it's a place that's been disputed as well there's been calls by the Polisario for Spain to get involved again because Spain was initially involved during colonial time uh, so yeah that's uh, my little reports on the very low coronavirus rates in the disputed territory of Western Sahara back well, to you and thank you very much Odysseus and uh, obviously have a safe trip back I hope you're doing your quarantining when you get back as well there's only one case yeah, you don't need to. I mean, you don't. Unless, he was, unless he was the one guy you met. Which yeah, exactly. That would be, the, be your luck, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Never told me that guy. Yes. Um, thank you, Ollie. And obviously now we can get into um, the talking point of this week's podcast. Uh, we're going to be talking about the, our, the UK political system, a parliamentary democracy, and assess if it is fit for purpose. There is a, a debate going on at the moment with a lot of things in the news which have shone light on the on our uh, political system and seeing is it actually fit for purpose and it, this is the, the debate we're going to have and the uh, hopefully at the end we'll come to a conclusion of what we all what we all think so first i'm going to come to you uh, albert and we're going to discuss firstly the the way of electing our parliamentary uh, our parliament and our what we use in our democracy is obviously our first past the post electoral system what do you think of that do you think it's a, a fair way of of um assessing uh, or, or electing people in this country well it's a really difficult one because no, I don't think it's the best way of doing it. However, I'm not really sure what the best way is. I'm sure some form of proportional representation would be better, but exactly which one would, would, would fit the British system most? Because fundamentally it is really unfair that a party like the Liberal Democrats have so few MPs versus the actual number of votes that they get. Um, mm you know compared like they get more votes than the smp and yet the smp has 50 and 50 i mean i mean the most standout case was a 2015 wasn't it with ukip getting you know the fourth highest vote share and only getting one seat well yeah yeah as much as obviously i disagree with the things that ukip say that's not fair though is it that's not really it's not fair that that is the way the system works but as as i say i don't really know which system would work best for the uk because Having studied politics, all of us work. There's, you know, most of them have drawbacks to the way that they vote, and plenty of other countries have systems where it's constant coalitions and constant lack of power sharing. Places like Italy and Spain have this constant problem, but mm. surely there should be some better way than this. Yeah, Aldous, what do you think of the first past the post system? Do you think it's fair for our democracy? Well, I mean, it's not really fair. No, um, I mean, the thing is, there are quite a lot of other sort of. Um, electoral systems uh, in the world that basically do work better like I think there's this idea that there's no other alternative whereas I think there's quite a few alternatives actually um, actually you know one that I would pitch that I think is quite a good idea is the one over in Greece which is in Greece proportional represent well you laugh but it's basically a thousand times more sensible than here which is proportional representation but if you're the biggest party you get I think it's an extra 40 seats which basically means it is proportional, all the parties have a chance, but you still get the stable governments because of the fact that you get 40 more seats, meaning that, I think it is 40. Anyway, how many seats is it? You get a majority out of it. Usually a majority, yeah. So, yeah, it's basically just a very valid alternative that we should probably consider taking up here. Yeah. Um, Ed, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the problem is I think that when MPs obviously go into Parliament, their view, at least in theory, should be that they're approaching issues from the perspective of their uh, constituents, right? Like they're deciding on 
things based on what would be best for their constituents. And when you have a country that obviously like living in London, say, is obviously a lot different from living in Yorkshire, that's obviously kind of a necessary evil. I mean, I just wish there was some way that, like we said, with people like Lib Dems and even UKIP, was if they could have some sort of external thing where they didn't win their constituency, but they can still represent the collective sort of views of everyone. Again, I'm not trying to suggest a system because I'm not really qualified to, but it's it, that I think that's the biggest sort of obstacle to overcome, like that idea of like very almost territorial like um, approach to deciding issues in Parliament. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to complain about first past the post because it means my party have the a good chance of getting a majority based on the constituencies which which come with it. Um, but it's it's not fair at all. I mean, you see the the vote counts mm -hmm. of of the UKIP and things like that. And I, I'm going to admit, I enjoy it because it means that, you know, without first past the post, would my party have got an 80 plus majority in December? No. But am I going to sit here and say that it's completely fair to parties? Absolutely not. And I'll keep going back to the UKIP case of in there, you know, as much as I only agree with one policy of theirs, um, they've, which is, which is the EU one, not the immigration ones. I just want to clarify that. I don't want it to come out as some, some sort of like anti-Islam, <laughs> like anti-Islam racist or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's, you know, it's not fair at all. And it, I, it, it, I like to agree with Albert. There is no serious alternative which people can, can, can get behind here. Um, no, 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 that's not what I meant. I meant I don't know what the alternative is. I didn't well, mean that well we've you know we've looked at we've looked at the there alternative. are probably better systems. I'm just not aware of what yeah. they are. I know I know a lot of people push for AV, but that's just it doesn't it's, it just comes out with a um, a um, coalition. Uh, and a minority government it doesn't come out never really comes out with a majority unless it's a resounding vote for one party um and we have regional lists for the eu elections which does work but then you get extremists in you know and and that's really that's not it because you can put the people at the top of the list and get them in if you're not familiar with it um and then the votes get proportional representation and whoever's at the top of the list gets in and goes down the list um that's a quick way of putting it but yeah but i, I think that I'm happy with first past the post. It's not really fair, but I'm just being going to be selfish here and say for the conservatives, it's an ideal thing. They're not going to change it anytime soon. Um, but there is growing calls for AV and that's in, there is growing calls. That's why we want to talk about it is that the, the Lib Dems are now pushing for that's going to be their new, their new thing after Brexit. They're going to push for AV. But yeah, but they're going to push it even more now. That's going to be the, now, now Brexit's done. This is going to be the next like pressure, you know, their, their pressure on the government and let's see if Labour get behind that. I'm sure Scotland, probably won't because they're about to you know take pretty much all of scotland there i don't think they'll want to get behind it but maybe maybe labor will i mean they can't go much worse than it is now so that would probably work in their in their favor but obviously when you've got a government you've you, you know you've you've elected the people through first past the post the next bit is in the house of commons now obviously there's 650 mps um they sit and they vote on bills the voting is you go to the left or to the right, depending on eyes or nose. Um, and you go to a little room and they basically clickers and they count how many people go into those rooms. Alba, I'm going to put to you, is that an outdated way of doing it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, pretty much, like pretty much everything in the Houses of Parliament, it could be done much better, but isn't. I mean, there's absolutely no excuse not to change it. I mean, the, the Welsh Assembly does it on a voting system in your seat. The 
um, yep, we have a thing called Hollywood the internet does nowadays. We have the internet. Which... They to register this kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> it's, 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 it really is bizarre that you have to go into a room and, and you, you know, they lock the door when you're in there as well. You're crowded in. I think, I think one way could be a Kahoot poll, personally. A Kahoot poll. Imagine the everyone, nicknames. Imagine the slander in there to a certain end. It's just going to be horrendous. You could do every vote in one day easily. <laughs> you could. Yeah. I mean, ten second, ten seconds to vote. <laughs> Easy, easy does it. And you'd have you'd have uh, the, the speaker kicking out the names it doesn't like as well. The ones that <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be there. Purposely there. Um, <laughs> that'll be oh, that's a decent idea. Is Kahoot? I mean, yeah, that Survey Monkey. That's a classic as well. Yeah, Survey yeah. Monkey. Yeah. No. Survey Monkey is great, but again, too slow. It is. Kahoot is fast. I mean, imagine that. I mean, but once he accidentally clicks the wrong Kahoot and he starts doing one on on capital cities or something like that, it's going to be a disaster. But yeah, but he said that. What do you think? Do you think it's a, what would you say about the House of Commons voting system? Uh, I mean, if I'm being brutally honest, I don't really care that much in the sense that mm-hmm. whether they vote via survey monkey or walking into a room, I mean, it doesn't make a huge, I mean, I did hear that. I mean, uh, no only... one's saying vote by survey monkey, by the way. I just thought for clarify to this. Personally, I think that's going to be in my manifesto. But no, I think, you know, <laughs> I don't vote by I mean, the only concern, I seem to remember, I can't remember who it was that told me this, but apparently, like, there's a pub behind one, like, one of them's, like, the way to the pub or something. What? Yeah, it's the one, I, think it's, I think it's the nose section, the nose. Oh. Is, you, walk, you have to walk through there to get to the, the Commons bar where only members of the MPs can sit and have a drink yeah. and things like that. And you have to walk through the nose lobby to get there. It's, these aren't specialist rooms. They are literally two bits of a corridor that they lock off to vote in. They aren't, yeah. uh, they aren't actual like voting rooms. They're not built to voting. It's, it's such an outdated system of, of voting. And it's shown, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's shown when it came to the, um, uh, when coronavirus and you had virtual parliament, they managed to vote. And some people said, oh, it's ridiculous. But that was only the conservative MP saying it's ridiculous. Most people were like, uh, let's keep doing this while this is going on. But it was only because Boris couldn't do it without people behind him. Uh, it couldn't do PMQs without having an audience. And it's shown, you know, it takes two, the, the first vote took two hours extra than it usually would because you had to socially distance and you had to do it one by one into a room into, to wait to go. It's, it's absurd, isn't it? It's absolutely ridiculous. And then they wait, have- what about, can, you do, can they do it like Eurovision voting? Like, could they put, so you put in this number and then add one for no, add <laughs> I mean, it'd be a way to, I mean, you could, you could drop some taxes and you could raise money by, you could raise money by MPs doing that. Wait, can I show you? Then you get Graham Norton going, thank you for calling. You have registered <laughs> for no. I mean, the worry, the worry I've got there on the set is that you actually know what happens when you vote in Eurovision on the phone. Oh, I take no shame in admitting I've voted for Greece <laughs> yeah, hundreds of times. Mm. <laughs> I mean, you're probably one of the, I mean, yeah, you probably might be the only person in this country who actually votes in Eurovision. But yeah, but Ed, do you think it's a, what do you think about the Commons voting? Is it outdated, would you say? Yeah, Yeah. I'll say that I think this is sort of symptomatic of the House of Commons generally being very outdated as a whole. Like, I can understand the the idea of it because, I mean, let's use a Eurovision example. Let's say you're voting on a very important uh, thing and you accidentally press O2 instead of O1. You know, you've just voted to, I don't know. Yeah, you can only get it wrong not if you get your left. Not against gay marriage or I mean, something. I mean, guessing now you can only get it wrong if you get your lefts and rights mixed up, which knowing Ken Clark, he probably did. So, um, <laughs> that is true. But I mean, or Ken Livingston. We haven't bashed him for a while. Ken <laughs> Livingston. Okay. The idea is, you know, walking physically into a room is uh, a biggest commitment. 
at the same time, that's stupid and dumb and takes too long. So yeah. that you know, giving more time for the more important things, like like the actual debate around the point, I think is pretty important. And like you know, drafting of legislation and stuff that takes a long time too. So uh, that the time is definitely better spent elsewhere. But like, yeah, I, I think the, the again, the House of Commons in general is, is to me, I think very old fashioned and outdated. Like, I mean, some little things like shouting here here loudly and like guffawing and laughing during debates i think is quite old-fashioned and like almost like i don't know it to me that doesn't really seem like it should mm. be in the i mean if you think that's uh outdated it's something systematically wrong with parliament and man we're going to talk about the house of lords now but ed you're gonna lose yeah. you're gonna lose your shit now over this oh, i mean <laughs> i mean me. i don't i don't know where to start with this i'm gonna let you guys take the lead in this one but i just want to mention mm. the reason why we're talking about the house of lords now it's been brought into into the news in the past few uh, days because of claire fox who was a former labor M- uh, labor mp um who's been recommended to uh, to the house of lords uh, the only person who can stop it is boris johnson he's mm being a bit quiet on the issue and the reasons why that people are causing a bit of fuss over that is over comments she made over the um over an ira bombing um which she uh didn't condemn she actually approved of it um so that's why she's she's in the news at the moment people saying that she shouldn't be in there and we're going to talk about the the position of the the house of lords um after you, the dog stops barking. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's me. That's a special guest. A special guest is the dog, yeah. Um, but on the, on, the, on the House of Lords, I mean, this just shows us, doesn't it, Albert? I mean, this, that Claire, the Claire Fox um, sort of, the Claire Fox debate at the moment, that just shows what's wrong with it, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's not the only example recently. Like, Boris Johnson's brother has been made a member of the House of Lords. Uh, the guy who owns the London Evening Standard, I think he's called Evgeny Lebedev, I think. Mm, that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, like all these kind of people, it's basically just become a, like a home to put anyone who's ever given money to your party. Mm. And I'm not saying the Conservatives just do that, because I'm sure plenty of other parties do too. But it's just such a bizarre thing to me that we have a group of people who are elected for life, not by the people, but by parties themselves. For no reason, for like, like what, what, what um, great public service has Boris Johnson's brother ever done that would deserve him to be there, or any number of people who are in there? Alan Sugar, you know, like mm. it just seems to me so bizarre that the House of Lords exists in the way it does now. And I think that there's there's a good there's good arguments for having a second chamber, but the way it's set up now is just so strange to me. Yeah, Odysseus, what do you think? Yeah, like Albert says, I think that it's uh, completely ridiculous that you'd have uh, sort of this unelected chamber full of people who have basically just been put there, you know, largely because of political reasons and being sort of saying that they've contributed things just to sort of specific political parties. Um, And yeah, I just, yeah, I think that it's something that should probably be got rid of and some kind of better alternative put in place. Mm. Uh, Ed, do you think they the, the House of Lords needs more accountability in there? I mean, I call it the House of Nap Time uh, because they seem to get paid to be sleeping in there. Um, yeah, what do you think? I, I'm going to be a little bit controversial and say I, I, I think that a body like the House of Lords does sort of have a very important uh, place in the sense that uh, you sort of need an impartial uh, overhead 
to uh, not block any and all legislation they disagree with, but sort of keep in check like the, uh, you know, legislation that shouldn't necessarily pass like super quickly or that's very like, uh, you know, in any, in any basically like legal or political system, I think you need a, an overhead, an executive. And as we all know, the executive in this country, like the government, is not separate from the House of Law, uh, from the House of Commons. So that, that's not really there anymore. Obviously, the actual House of Lords in practice, like you say, I mean, you, you, you go in and then like nobody's there, like nobody get, turns up. No, it's not like they have actual jobs. They have like wine bars and all this ludicrous stuff that just does not need to be there. And the actual people, like you say, are just, uh, just you know, exactly like friends of the prime minister and all that stuff. Um, it's just it's just ludicrous that idea. Yeah. But to have an actual uh, unelected like people, not just rich people, and also obviously not members for life, that's also ludicrous. Uh, but to have those kind of people there isn't necessarily a bad thing, I would say. Well, I think that the, the sensible alternative is having the House of Lords, but they are um, experts in their fields. You know, you have half of them now, yeah, and you yeah. have half peers, which have been uh, chosen by the Prime Minister. Um, I, I do believe that having a, a full House of Lords with um, who can scrutinise bills based on their... Mm. Um, based on their expertise, but not even a House of Lords. Having a committees would probably be do, just the same thing to do, having... selected to command households do have committees now but they should have committees on uh in terms of uh, their things and then so you have a education committee with uh, former teachers and you know uh, people high up in the education system who can scrutinize bills properly you know uh, former doctors on a on a health one um you know lawyers we can see we can see how in america like a a, a second elected chamber is not perfect you know like Um, no not that that's you know it would have to be unelected that's the whole point but it yeah. has to be, it, we have been elected, but it, but but they wouldn't have as much power on on. Well, I mean, they say House of Lords do stop bills, but they don't really. You know, they 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 very well, rarely. The House of Commons has limited their power. Yeah, which is which is right. They shouldn't have as much power as they as they used to do. You know, God, if they didn't, if they had the power they used to, Brexit wouldn't have happened. I mean, for your mm. guys, that'd been great, but for me, it would have been devastating, and we would have had um, you know more gridlock now. So there, there does need to be some some definitely some uh, some change. In the house, and, and finally remove the fact that it needs royal assent. Oh yeah, abolish the monarchy. No, Albert. We <laughs> this this, pod, this podcast may have different views on the monarchy, but I would like to make myself clear. I, Harvey McCabe, do love the monarchy. I, I Albert Jennings, hate it. the monarchy. Yes. The well, there we go. Maybe that can come up in <laughs> next week's episode. We'll yeah, talking. I'd happily do that's a whole it. episode. Next week, we're all going to be at, next week. That's it. It's booked in. We're going to be discussing <laughs> the monarchy. And it's going to get very, very feisty. I'm not going to say now. I promise. I can't promise that I won't call Albert a communist. And, and that well, I can't promise that I won't make threats against the royal family. Okay, well, you might, you might call me a fascist. I mean, we're going to stay away from the paedophilia in the royal family. That's that might come up. <laughs> no, that's an important part that's of the debate. Fine, 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 it ring up. Fine. I can't defend that. I can't defend that. So I don't know what to do then. That's my kryptonite when it comes to the royal family. Um, but one yeah, last question in this section, I just say, do you think like with, with all this that we've said about the House of Commons being outdated, you know, House of Lords are the accountability heading towards the Prime Minister, and no one really be able to object to it and, and the first past the post. Do you think, Albert, do you think, we're a, do you think we are now set up for a long-term two-party system in the UK? Uh, well, if I mean, the argument really technically is well, have we always been a two-party system, really? And I would really say yes, 
because ultimately there is only a two parties being a chance of being actual prime minister regardless of how supported they were mm -hmm. by other people so if we were a two-party state system and for the foreseeable future i would say yes mm. uh, ed what do you think yeah exact same i mean the best you can hope for if you're voting for someone like the lib dems is a coalition which isn't really the same thing and the only way that that can happen is if they have similar views anyway so yeah we are basically in the, in the two-party system for the near future yes Odysseus. um i think the one thing that you do need to bear in mind is that it's pretty much basically the snp which you know i think it's fair to say that nicola sturgeon does still hold a pretty considerable amount of influence both in terms of in her own position just like the power that she has uh, being first minister of scotland and all of those just policies that she has control over and also i think that as an influencer in uk politics generally so i think that that's the only real exception i don't think i think that because of that you can't really call it a two-party system uh, and also Northern as well but in terms of parliament itself it like the house of commons and prime minister then yeah is too yeah and just one word i'm going to just need a one word answer albert is our political system fit for purpose uh, yes ed mm, yeah what is this uh sort of i don't think that's no one word one word <laughs> I don't think it's a very good question. Uh, yes or no? I think yes, it is. Um, okay, sorry, Adi, you missed your chance. I said one word. Well, it's better um, than like America, but I don't want to say it's better. Yeah, it's better than America. Yeah, better than America. Well, everything's better than America. Um, <laughs> sorry, Malcolm. Uh, but um, Okay, well, thank you for that. And, and now we move on to the, the main event, which is the Tom Harwood Testimonial Cup final. It's absolutely, I've renamed the the A Week in Politics trophy after him because obviously uh, he's a bit, of a, a bit of a famous person on this podcast. He's actually got a name for himself on here uh, for not showing up. Uh, Tom Hodge, you still haven't got back to us, so get back to us and we'll face you <laughs> up as usual. I'm going to call him out until he does it, until he does it. But he's got a trophy in there for me. I bet he loves that, the smug idiot. I should I just say, Hubby, I think that if you ever call something the main event, you are then obliged to say, and it's live. Well, it is. Well, it's not live, sadly. <laughs> but uh, we are doing it live at this moment. We are live at this moment, but it won't be live. Thing. So it, this is sorry, Ed, but as you haven't turned up for the past few weeks, oh, that's fair is, enough. Yeah. You can. You can still. We need still need a live audience. You can still chip in. Um, sure. And sure this is between I'm Albert and Odysseus. It's a win. As I said last week, it's a Albert has won six three, but it's a. But I said it's a winner takes all. So Odysseus is still in this. The winner of this will claim be the first ever Tom Harwood Testimonial Cup champion. Uh, and the game is, who am I? So these are the rules. I'm going to go eat one of you. So I'm going to go Albert first, then Odysseus, um, and I'm going to give you clues. You have got four clues. Uh, if you guess, you got to guess who this person is based on these clues. You only have one guess. And you have to guess at the end of each clue. You have to guess at the end of the clue that you want to guess on. So if Albert guesses, for example, on the first person at the, on the first clue, he gets four points. Second clue, three points. Third clue, uh, two points. And if he gets on the last clue, which is the most obvious clue, he gets one point. Uh, whoever gets the most points at the end will obviously be the champion. So Albert, do you, do you get the rules? I do, yeah. If, if, I, if I get it wrong, will you throw it over to the other person? No. No, no. So you don't get doesn't, doesn't throw over you because you get your own. There's, there's three each, uh, but obviously it's not going to be three three because you might get you're going to have to vary. So if you're losing, you have to go on. You might want to go all in and throw it on the on the first okay. first question. So Albert, I'm going to come to you first. Oh, so 
Here we go. Actually, no. Well, Albert, uh, do you have any preference? How much are you going to give it to Ollie? Ollie's got the underdog here. But he did a poll. And well, Instagram... I want to go second. You want to yeah, go no, second? I, okay. I'll go first. That's fine. Okay. Okay. Well, on the poll on Instagram, uh, we, we asked the listeners who you think would win. Albert got 80% of the votes. Oh. So, so here we go. Number one. This person, Albert, was born in 1953 and is 66 years old. I want you to say pass if you want me to move on to the next one, if you don't want to guess on, on the first right. question. You can pass. Okay. This person stood for the Labour leadership in 2010. Uh, right. Okay. Go on next. Uh, so this is for two points. Uh, this person is the MP for Hackney North. Right. And now I'm going to guess now that's Diane Abbott. It's Diane Abbott. Congratulations. I, so. I, 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 can, I almost went for it on the last one. but Yeah. That. So anyway. that's, that's uh, um, two points there for Albert. So now over to you, Odysseus. This person was born in 1945, so he's 75 years old. All right, it passed. Us. This person was MP for Brent East. Pass. Oh, here we go. This person was, that you could get this in this one, this person was suspended from the Labour Party in 2016. Is this is it Ken level. Livingston? It is Ken Livingston. What a guess, oh. I want to say. Uh, obviously, Ken, Red Ken, who we, we don't like on this podcast, <laughs> but we like to take the piss out of on here because he's Red an absolute buffoon. Ken. So it's Ken, Red Ken, Ken Livingston. Um, obviously now over to Albert. So it's 2-2. Two, two. Both get the two points. That's a good start from you, but see who's going to go ballsy. Is someone going to go for the four points? Here we go, Albert. This person was born in 1965 and is 54 years old. Okay, go on, pass. This person joined the Territorial Army and served with the Royal Anglian Regiment. Oh, I think I might know this. I know, I've got an inkling as well, but do I go all in there? Right, mm -hmm. uh, score on, I'm going to get the next one. This person is MP for Rayleigh and Wickford. Oh, that doesn't really help either. You're going to no, go for I'm one point. Go, I'm, oh, oh. <laughs> it's a gamble, it's a gamble. <laughs> oh, God, do I go with it? Right, I'm going to say Johnny Mercer. It's Mark Francois on Albert, so you get oh, zero no. points on that. The, the, the last oh, clue was going to be he's the current chairman of the ERG. Which you've uh, obviously got, Mark Francois. Oh. Um, so, so there you go. He gets zero points for that. So Odysseus could take the lead. If, oh, it's a huge yeah. one. So here we go. This is, a, this is a, this three each. So and there's a tiebreaker as well if we do have managed to draw level. So over to you, Odysseus. This person was born in 1924. Wow, a pass. This person attended the University of Fort Har. Or hair, depends how it's pronounced. Uh, pass. Uh, this person famously called out Tony Blair at the United Nations. Uh, pass. See, this is for one point, so Albert, you've still got this now. Uh, this person served as the Prime Minister of Zimbabwe from 1980 to oh, 2017. No is it Robert Mugabe? It is Robert Mugabe. So there we oh. go. Oh, there you go. Oh. Takes that, was hard. that was easier than my one. That was a hard one. If you didn't, you got one point. You could have got that one point if you didn't. You didn't uh, but I still wouldn't have got it because I don't know. I didn't know Mark Well, here you go. Here you go, Albert. You're still in this. It's 3 2. You're still in this. So, this person was born in 1943, so he's 77 years old. Okay, pass. Uh, this person left school with only three O levels. Uh, 
Very famous, very famous. Let's go with three yellows. It's not Jamie Clarkson, by the way. He wants to. I was just thinking, no. I was thinking that. <laughs> um, right, next. This person was the, was the member of parliament for Huntingdon. So if you're listening at home, play along. See how tell us, let you know how many points you get. It's really familiar, but right, go on, you're gonna have to go for the one. You're going for the one. This person was Prime Minister from 1990 to 1997. Oh, that's uh, John Major. It is John Major. So that's one point for Albert. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that from earlier though. Yeah. So well, this goes on to the last one. Now, I'll just say this is, a, this is the most difficult one. Left the most difficult one to last. It's three three. Oh, one point if you get it wrong. So, this person was born in 1959 and is 61. Yeah, okay, pass. This person is British nationality. What? This is so Think stupid. about it. Think about it. He's British nationality. Why is that relevant to us and who this person is? What, a British person who's 61 years old? Think yeah, about be, it. They might not be British. They might just have British nationality. Pass. This person was the MEP for North West England. Pass. So for one point. And uh, question number four, he attempted a change of career in 2015. Oh, I know. <laughs> Gosh, surely you can tell I'm gonna, I know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to rush you here, Roddy. I need to answer quick. It's quick fire. Can't just think of it. Let me, let me have a quick think. No, North West England. MVP for uh, North England. For one point. I'm going to have to rush you. Five seconds. Five. Four, three, is it Nick Griffin? Two. It is Nick Griffin. Oh, that's, oh, like, that's the one point. It's a four-three win. Yes. And Odysseus, you are about to be crowned, but we throw it over. Ed Bowyer, you are back in this. A quick spin. Ed Bowyer for the tiebreaker. If Ed gets this one right, for five gets it, points, gets it right. Ed Bowyer claims. No, I win. Ed Bowyer claims. Ed Bowyer can choose the winner. So Ed, it is that you know you're not very good with the politicians, Ed. But here we go. This <laughs> person get anyway. was born in 1996. Oh, pass. Okay. This person studied at Durham University. <laughs> pass. This person girl. first rose to fame on uh, by appearing on the BBC Daily Politics show. Oh no! Um, pass it. Do you want to pass it? The last yeah. Question. This person became even more famous by having a trophy named after him on the best political <laughs> podcast in the country. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Don't come on. <laughs> Wait, what was, say, say the last one again. No, you've had the clue. You can't have it twice, which you've had it. <laughs> who's, the person oh, yeah. we've been, who's the person we've been calling out for the whole podcast? Uh, Ed, <laughs> got it wrong. Okay, this has been unbelievable. Ed, Ed, Ed's got it wrong. I mean, it's Tom Harwood. I know, the, the trophy's named after him. Oh, um, I forgot. So, therefore, by default, I mean, I'd like to congratulate the first ever winner of the Tom Harwood Testimonial Cup is Mr. Odysseus. Congratulations, yes. Odysseus. Got yes. a 4 3 win over It's completely Albert. ridiculous that it was winner takes all after Mike, after winning everyone. I mean, Albert, if you want to win, why don't you uh, hold a second vote? I mean, that might go well for you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I demand. <laughs> but yeah, congratulations, Odysseus. The trophy is on its way to you. It isn't really, it's virtual. Um, I'd like to say to the 80% of people who said <laughs> to everyone who came. Yeah. 
You are nothing but a fool, <laughs> a waste of time. I mean, Good Albert's man. got to blame. I mean, Albert's got to blame Johnny Mercer for that. That's absolutely. Was, I'm, I'm Johnny Mercer. Devastated. Yeah, devastated. Johnny Mercer's gone. And on that bombshell, that is uh, the end of this episode 10. Um, sort of a mini series finale. We'll be back next week, but with a sort of, we're going to uh, sort of get a few things straight with, a, with the format, things like that, and then come back better than ever with a few more special guests better special guests not saying better because the ones have been good but people that you might know and and you want to hear from as well um so thank you for that and uh, i'd like to thank albert ed and for joining us and obviously to play us out will be c-sense by stasis i'll see you all later the borderlines i don't think it's asking much for us to give a little fuck about the people who share the earth with the rest of us but you can only see red you only see malicious intent well i see kill the floor and no bed dreams dead he dreads be saying best for bloodshed how can you be a father Dreams day!